And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a terrific week, a great show for you today. I was joined by my brother, Andrew Donaldson. Always a great time talking to Andrew. And we had a, a marathon-wide ranging conversation. We, t- we talked a little 2024. Uh, we talked about how nobody wants to revisit or discuss uh, the COVID lockdowns anymore. Um, uh, Andrew gave me some, some pretty good parenting advice. I really appreciate it. Uh, we talked about how Woodrow Wilson destroyed everything. Um, among other things, I think you guys will enjoy it. Guys, before I get to Andrew, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe. If you're an Apple user, please take a couple seconds to leave us a five star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you'd like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Andrew Donaldson. <laughs> All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Andrew Donaldson. Andrew, how have you been, man? Fantastic, sir. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. So we are taking um, the baby up to the cabin for the first time tomorrow morning. Road church with babies, man. Dude, I'm intimidated with all the crap I have to pack. I mean, like, I don't know. Any advice for me? First uh, road trip with a baby. There's this very old joke in our family about how, like, the first kid you're always worried about, like, we don't want to get sick, and we don't want to have this, and we got to have three of everything when we travel and all these little kids. And then by the time you get to your third or fourth kid, like they throw their binky in the dirt and you just wipe it off on your pants leg and stick it back in their mouth. Um, yeah, you're, you're going to pack like a Sherpa because you're going to have all this extra stuff. <laughs> but look, it's the essentials. Food, diapers, things that distract and make the baby happy. That's it. I was My kids always enjoyed We did so much traveling and that my kids were always great on road trips. They like to travel. Some babies just don't. Some some babies are like some dogs. Like I've got different dogs. One dog loves to travel, and one dog like lays in the floor and has seizures the whole time it's in the car. And babies are like that. Some babies like to travel and don't. If you can get your kids to enjoy traveling at a very young age, even as infants, it will make your life infinitely easier. So just you know, entertain them, keep them fed, keep them clean rest of it you can kind of figure out but yeah you, you you learn the little tricks like you know how to mix a bottle real quick of one hand always take extra water so you can mix <laughs> formula yeah like you just you learn the little tricks in a hurry and then you know this is where technology has come in because you know when my kids were little we were we didn't quite have the streaming stuff yet so we were still doing the hang the dvd player split monitor on the back of the car seat kind of deals oh, yeah. and now you can just you know they all got their own little kid tablets and whatever that makes it easy but now just keep them entertained, make it fun, and and always, kids. If you make it an adventure, kids will kids that want to have an adventure will road trip well. And and I always have real good memories with the kids traveling with them cross country, whatever. We've been blessed with it. And I look, you're an outdoor guy anyway. Wait till you get to start taking her fishing with you and stuff like that. It'll be good. Oh, well, I mean, she's turned six months here in a week, and uh, I mean, I'm taking her fishing with me right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this weekend. I don't know. Start them. Like people that like take your kids when you do stuff, just take your kids with you and enjoy it. Like my youngest is going to be 16 this weekend. And now I've got three, 
my three older kids are in three different states. Like it just goes by so fast. So yeah, do do stuff with your kids. You'll never regret that time. I uh I know it's going to be a little bit of a pain because we're an hour north of the Mackinac Bridge, and uh like if it's just me, I mean you you got to stop. The bridge is you know about five hours from my house, and usually you know by my I, I I'll just stop for gas at the bridge, maybe take a leak if I have to, and get to the cabin real quick. That ain't gonna happen. I yeah. this is gonna be a long haul, stopping all the time, and I'm just such a point A to point B kind of fella. It's gonna yeah. be a a whole new ball game to get used to, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, your your travel times change quick because, like, I could tell you, like, even driving like from North Carolina house up to my dad's house, I could tell you within five ten minutes when I'd get there. Like, you start traveling with the kids, and so like, I got no idea because they're gonna want to stop four times, and we gotta have extra bathroom breaks, and then everybody's gotta eat, and then like, you know, and then if you start traveling with animals and the dogs, you gotta walk the dog, you know. You, you, you learn quick. It's like, okay, my real tight schedule of I'm not stopping the whole way there isn't going to happen anymore for the next 18 years. Just get used to it. <laughs> it's just the way life is, man. But it's good. It's all good, and it's fun. And, and you get to where one thing we did with our kids a lot was like birthdays or something like that. We would, instead of like a big gift or whatever, we'd let them pick a trip, especially when we were in Europe or somewhere like that. It's like, all right, where do you want to go for a trip? Right. Because you always got – you know, I, I live pretty frugally, but like I spend money on trips. Like you have those memories and the kids love to travel and they, they are always coming up like, well, I want to go here. I want to do this. That's a, that's a good thing. And it's good memories. And you'll always have those memories. I've, I've very rarely have I ever regretted traveling right. with the kids or going somewhere with the kids. Cause those are good memories and it, it lets them see a nice big fat world. And that's good for them in the long run. You know, the only time I regretted traveling somewhere was going to London two days after the queen died. Yeah, I, I mean, the queen died. That was things that are outside. That was rough. <laughs> but, uh, I've told you, I've joked with you since this happened. Like, that's one of the great walking cities, and you went the one time they actually lock it down. <laughs> you can't walk anywhere. The worst possible timing. And, like, everybody's in a bad mood. And it's like, you feel bad. It's like, this is my vacation lifetime, and I'm not allowed to enjoy it because the queen died. Like, yeah. Hey, you'll, oh, you'll get a kick out of this. Speaking of the Mackinac Bridge, um, when I was flying back, we flew out of Dublin to Chicago. And they they took us like up you know, up to like Greenland and down the East Coast and then through the interior to Chicago. And I, remember I was looking out the window, and uh, I was like, "Man, that looks like the Straits of Mackinac." You know, I've never seen it from the air, but yeah, I know what that looks like on a map. And then you can see the two towers from the bridge at thirty thousand yeah. feet. You know, yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, well, it is the largest." I, I think there's a bigger suspension bridge in China that was opened up maybe twenty years ago, but yeah, it's like a, the second largest suspension bridge in the world. See, I joked thirty thousand feet. When I'd fly home to West Virginia when I was in the military, I'd joke I'd almost know when I was coming home because when you look down, all of a sudden the lights would stop. There'd be no lights anywhere anymore. Cause there's yeah. no, and then they'd just be the ribbons through the valleys. But at nighttime, it's like, oh, lights, lights, lights. Oh, there's no lights anymore. Nobody lives here. Okay, we're about there. It's like civilization yeah. stops right around, you know, in Roanoke, Virginia or so when you're flowing from Europe over and you're doing that downward swing down to East Coast. Like, ah, oh, we're, we're almost home because there's no lights all of a sudden. So it's the opposite. <laughs> It's amazing people I, I tell people all the time, it's like you, you just don't understand. I was I was actually just thinking about this because I drove to Atlanta twice this week from North Carolina and that's, you know, almost six hours one way. I was like, you know, that's that's a pretty good road trip here going, you know, down to Atlanta. If I do that from Frankfurt, I'm in Paris in a couple, about five, four and a half, five hours. I could be in Holland. I could be down in the T-Roll, down in the Alps in Austria. I could be in Salzburg in about six hours or so. I could almost make it to Prague. 
I could almost get up to, you know, the Nordic country. Like, you don't understand yeah. how big America is oh, if yeah, you man. don't travel. And that was a six-hour drive, and I can go to RDU and fly anywhere in the world pretty much directly. Um, you got to travel to realize how. But I was like, it, it's a good experience for you to drive cross-country and realize that you're in Kansas, and you're going to be in Kansas today, and you're going to be in Kansas tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, just, you don't. North Texas. I mean, man. Where it's like, just nothing for two days. Like Touring with a rock and roll band for a decade. You know, you, you sometimes forget how lucky we are to be from Ohio. Yeah, it's just easier to tour like bands from the West, unless you're I mean, if you're on a big you have a bus driver and more money than God, it doesn't matter. But it's just like for smaller bands, if you're from L.A., dude, touring nah. is rough, man. Nah, I mean, you I... have to be out for two months to make it worthwhile financially. You know, for us, you can just do a quick two week run here and there, come back home, see the family. But if you're on the coast, man, you're just out. You're nah. like a long haul trucker. You know, you're just out. No, the last the last concert I actually went was actually a local band that we know here. They were opening for uh, one of the GNR tribute, the real high end tribute guys down in Myrtle Beach, House of Blues, and we went and took the kids. You know, the team it was a good first rock show for the kids. You know, but they um, right after that, I was looking at their social media and it was funny. They're called the Fifth, really good band by the way. Check them out. Um, they they got invited to open for a band at Red Rocks out in Denver, which is a, you know, there's there's four or five real special venues in the country. Like all bands are like, right. if you get to play Red Rocks, you go play Red Rocks. Right. They were actually crowdsourcing it. They're like, hey, we, we're going to meet them because they're touring, but we've got to drive out there. Like, tell us some places we can hit up to play on the way out and the way back. And while we're out there, when you're in Parker, Colorado, in the Denver area, because they're like, we've, we've got to play on the way out and we got to play on the way out to make it. Yeah. Our wild. So they were crowdsourcing. They're like, where do we stop? Where's some clubs we can play? You know, some bars we can play, whatever, just so they could go play Red Rocks. And, the, and you know, they got a bus and they've been doing it for a long time. And they're, you know, good guys and a good band. And they're crowdsourcing it. They're like, we, we need some dates going out and make it worth our while. It's just the re people don't realize there's a real it's almost like actors. There's there's those highlight, but you know most people are just working class folks trying to get by. Same way with music. My, my producer TK, he's been a gigging musician for forty years, and he's like, yeah, I still. He's like, hey, I got months. I got to take that hundred and fifty dollar play in the guy's backyard for the party gig. Yeah, you just got to because I've got you know I got to replace this or I got to fix this or whatever. There's a real working class musician that people just don't appreciate. And when you see when you see people you like, go support them, man. Absolutely, man. When we um like booking a headlining tour. I mean, if you're a support band, it doesn't matter. You just go where you're told. But it's just like you're booking tours based on radio play, you know. And it's just like, okay, well, we have a radio single doing well in Miami, Dallas, Birmingham, Nashville, and Columbus. So what do we do about that? <laughs> you know. And you just kind of like route it. And that just Nashville book. to Columbus bit might bite a little. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, you know, you just book it around, and you're like, okay, well, that's five shows. We need 15. So let's just route it and just figure it out. And like, you might play some sold out show in a radio market, or you might play at some pub with 10 people for 200 bucks, you know, the next night on a Monday. So it's just like, yeah, man, just figure it out and make it work. Did you ever see when they made some kind of monster Metallica and they were interviewing Rob when he came off the bases, you know, they were going through all the bases. And of course, you know, he's been there for forever. So everybody loves him now, but um, he was actually joking about it. He's like, yeah, I was with my regular band and we hadn't shired in five days. And then Ozzy called me to Ozfest and all of a sudden I'm in five star hotels for three weeks. And I had to go back to my band. We're back in the van. We can't even afford it. We get a hotel room once a week cause that's all we could afford. So we're showering like once a week and playing gigs. He's like, I've been, I've done both. And you know, Metallica's giving him a million dollars to join the band right off yeah, the bun. Yeah. He's like, yeah, man, whatever. 
but like people don't realize like even those name ba- I I just the concert I just went down to I'll just mention it was funny the the guy that was in the the Guns N' Roses tribute band they were joking it was his last show because he just got called up to go be on Ozzy's tour because Ozzy had you know had all the health problems he's getting ready to go out and tour yeah. and they're like they just called him so he's got it tomorrow morning he's getting on a plane fly out to wherever to meet up with the Ozzy's band and they don't realize how much of that stuff happens to people because it's a small community everybody knows everybody and just all of a sudden like hey we need a guy and somebody calls you and you go you go from the outhouse to the penthouse real quick but then those are usually short-term gigs and you go right back oh yeah man and it's just a part of the business people don't understand and appreciate it's like yeah you're playing you know you're playing a club and then you go play a stadium but you're probably going to go back to playing a club in a couple weeks too unless you're one of those just high high high-end folks the longest we ever went without taking showers was eight days we were on tour with Red at the time, and it was a bus tour that was routed. I mean, like, whoever booked this tour was high on meth, man. I mean, it was just, like, 12 hours every night drive after the show. Brutal. And it's like, they don't care because they have a bus driver, <laughs> but we don't. <laughs> so it's just, you know, you just you, you load out, you sign autographs, you load out, you eat a little food, and you drive all night and get there just in time for load-in the next day. And, yeah, we went eight days, man. It was, like, May. It was hot. Eight days without a shower. Luckily, it doesn't happen very often because I have buddies everywhere. It's like we don't even stay at hotels much. We just crash on people's couches. <laughs> you know, It's just like we just made so many friends along the way that we know somebody in every town, so we can usually just stop off, take a shower or whatever, charge your phones, do whatever. But Brutal. Eight days. Yeah, you need to you need to get you an old truck. The music industry needs more truck drivers as bookers because they, they actually understand things like, 100%. Gas and mileage, and that you got to eat, and you got to, especially now the new rules really got rest periods, so they've gotten real good at like I, I've actually had that job as a driver manager where I routed, you know, truck drivers, and you're not just routing truck drivers, you're writing their kids' birthday parties and their wives' oh, yeah. anniversaries, and dude, like you got thirty some guys, and every single guy's got to be home tomorrow for whatever reason, <laughs> yeah. or they're gonna kill you, yep. and they're all you know very angry large men who aren't used to interaction with other human beings. So it can be a little fun <laughs> right. to deal with. Right. And I'm like, I, I, I've told industry guys and you, I like, you need to hire some old truck driver to be your bookers. Oh, Cause yeah. they actually know what they're doing and they don't care. Preach. They're like, no, like, like they're like mileage doesn't care about your feelings. You're doing this 380 miles and that's it. Yeah. Like you got to do it. I mean, so, we've been on tours where it's like the booking agent just had a map of the United States, put a blindfold on and just started throwing darts, man. I mean, it was just like all over the place, just crisscrossing the country. Man, one time, we uh, the the longest drive we ever did straight was Safford, Arizona to Toledo, Ohio, which is oh right on the God. south, southern Arizona, right on the Mexican, the country, literally, right on the Mexican border. It was two days. The tour ended there. Two days before Thanksgiving, we wanted to be home for Thanksgiving dinner. So we drove thirty-seven and a half hours straight, just stopping oh for God. gas. I mean, dude, you just, you wake up, you like, you'd wake up in the back of the van, you have no idea. It's like kind of dark. You're like dawn, dusk, who cares? Where are we? Missouri? All right. We got some work to do. And it's just like, it's, man, it's oh man. Crazy. Well, they, and you know, being a driver, man, see, I'm glad I came to politics and commentating from transportation because transportation <laughs> is a very, a, you know, A's got to get to B for C amount of money and D amount of time. That's the form, like it, there's, it's just got to get done. And when you live in that world, um, it's amazing, no matter whether it's, you know, trucking, I did it for the Air Force, air transportation, whatever, you know, there, there is no negotiating with the mileage. No. Like, it's just got to get done. And people don't realize, like, you, 
in people's feelings. People break down. People can only do so much. You're doing those drives. I've done cross-country drives. I've drove all over the country. You, When you're doing that day after day after day, it's no wonder they're all freaking drug addicts because, like, how do you <laughs> – you just can't – the human body can only take so much of that. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm 43 and got all kinds of health problems or whatever, like, just driving to Atlanta. But I remember when I first moved to Little Rock, I would drive home to West Virginia on the weekends. It was 12 hours one way. If I stopped one time, I had a Dodge Spirit, so I could do it on two tanks of gas. Oh, yeah. So fill it up, drive out halfway, go, you know, and drive all the way up through Kentucky, then Bluegrass Park, Parkway across. I had it all laid out. I could do it in 12 hours flat. I would do that and show up to work and work my shift and go, like, like I couldn't, I can't move now. I got to have a special cushion in my car seat. Yeah. Yeah, like man. just a function, and I got a I got a car in Atlanta, and I couldn't walk for five minutes. I'm like, I wonder if I got to get the I got the foldable cane because I got certain days I can't hardly walk. I'm like, I wonder if I'm gonna have I'm gonna get the cane out in front of the kids. It's gonna embarrass everybody. It, you know, it's like you get old, like I can't do this crap anymore. So I, it's it's amazing, man. At least being in a band, you have multiple drivers. Yeah, it's true. It's always been me and one other guy because we're the best drivers. So it's kind of the two of us. But like you know, it, somebody else can always drive if need be, but not. Not in your situation. <laughs> yeah, you you don't want to get cliffed though. You got to be careful who's driving your bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. No kidding. Uh, well, uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about politics. I don't I don't really have any notes today. I'm, do we uh, have to? I mean, I don't know, man. We we blew right I'm past. Bored. Can I just admit it? I'm bored with this primary in this election. I'm completely oh, yeah. bored with it. Not that it ain't important. And like, look, the the republic's gonna stand even when we elect idiots. Yeah, I'm just bored with it. There's nothing entertaining about this. It's it's I know that's selfish to say, but this is all rehashed crap. We're not doing anything original here. And no. it's it's sad and I'm bored with it. And I really don't understand how people are up in arms about it because it's like y'all seen this movie. Yeah, no, I don't I, I don't get it. It is boring. Like, especially the last few months, I feel like have been Really, I mean, like, there's big stuff happening. Like, the president, the the former president, was just arrested the other day. Like, obviously, that's not boring, the, but like, but it's the fourth time. Like, how many? I, like, it, I know. It, it's like how many? I. Uh. The only moment in the GOP debate that made me laugh, and like, typically, I only like these debates for the laughs. You know what I mean? Like, it's all just stupid candidates saying stupid stuff. It's never going to happen. The only I, I was hoping for like a hundred of these moments, but it only happened. There was only like one moment where there was a good joke. And it was Chris Christie and Vivek Ramaswamy each hit each other at the same time with, like, totally valid, fair zingers about Obama. You know, like, Christie was like, oh, this guy, he's just the incompetent clown, just like Obama. And then Vivek's like, give me a hug then, buddy. Come on, don't you want to give me a hug because I'm Obama? I was like, dude, that was, like, fair point by both men. (laughs) Like, that that was totally accurate by both of them. Fair play by both of them. And then they was they went right back to like talking about how they want to bomb Mexico or whatever. It's like, all right, bring the jokes back, man. Like, come on, like that that was a funny line by both guys. Like, can can we do more of that? Less bombing Mexico. Well, because Vivek had Vivek rhymes with fake, by the way. He he had literally <laughs> that was the second time in the debate he had plagiarized Obama. It's like I know. like. <laughs> I, I I was just I was I I didn't want to watch this. I was actually laying in bed watching it on my phone because I was like I'm gonna watch like two minutes of it and go to sleep. Right. I I ended up watching the whole thing because I just couldn't take. It was like watching Talladega. You're just waiting for the big car wreck. Like I couldn't take my eyes off it. It was so bad. It was horrific. Like I was like this is the worst. It was terrible. Vivek, I, it's funny. I don't know if you've talked about that. I, I you know like I don't I don't want to pull back the curtain too much here, but. 
<laughs> Andrew Donaldson, for those who don't know, he, the guy that bothers him the most in politics is Mike Pence. Just something about Mike Pence just really gets under this dude's skin. And I'm here yeah. to tell you, Vivek is that guy for me. Like, he, it's just, he just bothers yeah. me no, more than anybody. Okay, in my defense, the Mike Pence bothers me. How do I say this gently without... T- well, I can't, so I'm just going <laughs> to... I'll just... Let me just... Let me just get out the rusty fishing knife because there's not going to be a gentle way to do this. No, no, no. Here's my thing, and people can get mad or whatever. All the things I disagree with, I have never once in my life thought, well, Trump's not being Trump here. Right. Like, even the most bonkers, crazy, horrible, illegal, corrupt, what, no matter what he does, he's being Donald Trump. I never doubt that Donald Trump is being Donald Trump. He, it's just, look, he's seven, he's almost 80. This is how he is. We got 50 years of book on him. If you don't know what he is, that's your fault. Donald Trump's <laughs> right. going to be Donald Trump. Right? right. Good, bad, indifferent, right. legal, illegal, whatever. So even when I'm smashing him or disagree with him or fighting against him or defending him or whatever I'm doing on that particular issue, Donald Trump's being Donald Trump. The reason I got a problem with Mike Pence is he sat around and said, oh, it's a good idea for me to be like this. Right. You understand the difference? That's he sat down with a focus group. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't. It was him and his... It was him and Ma, his wife, which is weird. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, like, my parents have been married 57 years. Like, if he wants to call her mom, that's one thing, but whatever. But the thing with Mike Pence is he he thinks, I, I don't want to get theological, you know, I don't want to bust out the theology degree. He thinks he's Daniel. Yeah. He thinks he's the modern Daniel, and Trump was his Nebuchadnezzar. This is not me. Tom Lobianco literally wrote the biography on. I've had him on my program. It's amazing. Go listen to that. Like, like it'll break. It'll break down how Mike Pence thinks. He thinks he's the modern Daniel, and he thought Trump was going to be, you know, the Nebuchadnezzar that he was going to put Pence in power to go do all this other stuff. Which number one, you're crazy because nobody gets <laughs> elevated being number two to Donald Trump ever. No. Number three no. is. Like, I don't give him—everybody's like, well, we got to give him credit for doing—like, no. The thing he did in front is, like, he made that problem because it was beneficial to him, to them, and then he's still trying to play at both sides against the middle since then. He didn't—like, res- if he would have resigned on the spot, I would have respected that. Like, he's still trying to be like, well, me and Donald Trump—like, Donald Trump doesn't like you. Donald Trump hates you. Like, the Pence—Trump—there was no Pence-Trump. Trump didn't even probably talk to him for four years. It's it, no. Mike Pence, the reason I have a problem with him is, and I hate to go there, but there's just no other way around this. He's that church pastor who is ate up and doesn't understand that everybody's onto his hypocrisy. Yeah. That's really who he is. Like he's, I just, he sat down and decided to be this way. If you're a jerk and it's in your nature to be a jerk, but you're consistently a jerk, at least I know what I'm dealing with. Yeah. Pence is duplicitous, man. That's why I can't, but... Vivek rhymes with cake, rhymes with fake. He says cake, I say fake. Although I, I love Viv- Vivek, the gimmick um, our buddy Cobra came up with is just so good, but it doesn't rhyme. Vivek has, I probably tweet about him more and talk about him more because he's such a dangerous, he's a maliciously ignorant is how I put it. He's, he's not even. buzzwords. He doesn't understand anything he's saying. If you go talk to investment people from about six, seven years ago when his companies were flailing, he's a joke. Everybody knows he's a joke. And people that want to treat—look at his—let's go deep here for a second. You want to talk about Peel Beckman? One of the things I watch on social media now is people's back channels. Like, when you show up on certain people's all social media feeds at once, that don't happen by accident. No, 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 no. no. 
Yeah. So look at his back channel where he goes through the Charlie Kirks of the world and the MAGAs and the real crazy folks. He's he's that guy because he's the chat GPT line was funny because it's true. He just looks at the buzzwords and yeah. plugs them into his little, you know, yep. periodical Pez dispenser of populist album that comes out of his pie hole. And he says this stuff and he has no idea what he's talking. He has about. no idea what he's talking. And, and you can he, tell. I'll go even further than that. He not only is he the least authentic person ever, <laughs> like just the least authentic person I've ever seen run for any office. He also like he's not a right winger. Like he was a he worked did work with like George Soros nonprofits. He was like a big he like a, he has Soros fellowship and he has like, Soros it's, it's through fellowship. the kids, but it's still a source. And, and then he, he paid a guy to get it wiped off Wikipedia, which is you right. Know, which like you, you don't know how to delete yourself. Wikipedia yourself, yeah. like number one. And, it, it, and he also, like, he speaks, and I've used this example on the show before, like, he speaks right-wing as a second language, so he doesn't really understand it. And it's like, oh. and Trump learned how to speak right-wing, you know, but he was really bad at it in, like, 2015 when he first announced. Trump, I'm so glad you brought this up. Trump, go listen. Trump stays big picture. Trump never talks policy. Well, he like so. What I remember one moment for Trump when people realized like, oh, he's just learning how to talk this way. When he was talking about abortion, besides and two it, Corinthians, he got besides two I Corinthians, love that so much. <laughs> yeah, two <laughs> Corinthians. But also he uh, he was talking about abortion, and then he goes on a tirade about yeah, we're gonna ban abortion, we're gonna stop killing babies, and then some whoever's interviewing him is like. So are you gonna like arrest people that get an abortion? He's like, "Yep, we're gonna ra- we're gonna arrest the women getting abortion." And then everyone's like, "Whoa, no, 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 no! That's not the that's not the, the like that's not the Republican position. Like you're going too far." And it's like that's Vivek with everything, everything. Yeah. Like everything is that because he just doesn't know anything. He somebody I'm I'm cribbing this. I can't remember. So credit to whoever it was. But it's like it's like he went to the TED talk to try to be a Trump supporter, and that's yeah. how he learned how to be a Trump supporter. Yeah. And he talks in that 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 bro. I hate PowerPoint. He talks like every PowerPoint. Bit. Listen, here's the thing with Vivek. He's really under, easy to understand because we've seen thousands of this guy. Being rich wasn't enough. He has to be famous, and everybody has to understand how brilliant he is. He's that there, guy. There would he be... talks about the managerial class. He's the walking, talking embodiment of the managerial class. He's that fast rising middle regional manager guy that shows up with the PowerPoint to tell you how to do your job and has no idea what he's doing. That's exactly. who that guy is. That's why after, at the debate, he lost like 10 points on his approval rating because nobody likes that. He's like that douchebag that companies bring in to give a lecture, a motivational oh, speech yeah. to their employees. And everybody's like, this is annoying. It's a waste of time. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I have never like, people, seen it just debate. bothers people. I forget what the actual topic was, but when him and Nikki Haley got into it and it started with the crowd cheering, Vivek, and within 35 seconds, they were booing him off the stage. Like, I'd never seen it change that fast in the span of two sentences. It was amazing to watch, but people just real they're like, yeah, yeah, no, what? No, screw that guy. Like, it was that fast. Well, I mean, like, he'll say things that, like, I agree with. Like, we should push for negotiations in Ukraine. We should stop sending Ukraine money. And then he'll just, like... But he's the worst. China, Taiwan. Yeah. What, what? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what What do you. Yeah. And then let's send all that money to Taiwan and start a war with China. It's like, OK, like, what, what are we what are we doing? Like, what, there's we no need, substance behind a, any of this. He's like, we need to have a civics test before you're allowed to vote. And by the way, we had the Revolutionary War over the Constitution, which wasn't written until 13 years later. Right. Wait, 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 what? What? Like, he, I don't think he could pass the civics test. He doesn't seem to know anything. No. He's he's that rich 
tech bro pharma by the way he made most of his money through pharmaceuticals through not through the pharmaceuticals they were selling because that failed horribly it was selling the stock on the future options and you sell right. the stock that's how he made his money yep. he made a lot of money out of china he's got all kinds of china ties but it's it's like i've i've called him out on social media a couple times he's like i am the teller of truth i'm gonna say something bad about trump like even even <laughs> people that support trump can say something bad about trump of course he of course. can't because he's trying why? he's just because he's grifting to make money off of trump Correct. supporters you know, he's gonna there's, sell sell a podcast or a, whatever a business there's venture the reporting to out there he's getting in these rooms with these donors and he's not talking his campaign of he's course pitching not. them his business stuff to these of big course. money donors of course he's Look, I, I joked he's the spirit Halloween candidate. He pops up in August. It looks really important. By the first week of November, it'll be an empty storefront again. It'll be okay. Ugh. I mean, he's, yeah, no, that's that's 100% true. 100%. I, can't, I cannot wait for Trump to show up in a debate and just side smack him into irrelevance. I'm actually looking forward to it. Like, when when people talk, and they, they were all like, Trump has talked about this, DeSantis has said this too, and Vivek went crazy on it on the debate. They're talking about bombing Mexico for some reason. It's, oh, it's like what these these policies like they, they aren't policies because it's not pos- like all right let's just take illegal immigration and dude i'm a i'm in favor of very restrictive of closed borders you know like i i, I think that we it is i think illegal immigration is bad for the country but like let's take it's all the talking point for a lot of these republicans right especially trump and vivek that you know they're gonna deport the now 20 million illegal aliens in the country what would that like what would that so just like just say you want to do that let's just <laughs> devil's advocate say that that would be i don't want to do that but let's just say i did do you people realize like what would the government need to do to accomplish that it would require surveillance measures that would make the patriot act look like the bill of rights okay <laughs> like it would take like the kind of mass it, it would take the kind of police state that is like straight out of Brave New World or something. Okay. Okay. Honestly, here you want a prediction, oh. Donaldson? Check this out. Yeah. I I think, and I, I've talked about this before. I bet in the next twenty years, the next two decades, the CIA and the FBI will make a hard transition and pivot to pushing something like this. Like they'll they'll say like you know illegal immigration's hurting black Americans, right? Like a minor whatever minority group they want to protect at that time, and then they'll all switch the press. Everybody will will go to this like anti illegal immigration propaganda, and will pivot. They'll pivot in that direction because if you want to grow the government, I mean, you would have Republicans begging for a more tyrannical government. Yeah. I mean, th- like there'd be no better way to increase the size of government than to for the the deep state and the the people the the establishment to totally flip on illegal immigration. So I mean, like let, let's just say like if there was the political will to do this, it would be catastrophic. Like the the government yeah. would have to grow to the size where it could it would it would be in, insane. I mean it would it would be like communist China. It would be the kind of government you would need to deport twenty million people, right? Like it would be no. the opposite of what people on the right want. No, we we opened up talking about transportation. I'm a transportation guy. I did air my original career field before I specialized in other stuff in the Air Force was air transportation. Let me let me explain this to you real quick in some numbers. Okay, twenty million people. Okay. The high day of air travel in America in the last few years was 2.56 million people flying in one day. That's right. every single person flying on every single airplane in the entire yeah. United States of America. That's including international and domestic flights going international. Yeah. 2.56 million. So if you just did that, it would take you a month. Yeah. It is not physically possible. Look, no. legal immigration is those issues 
you find out real quick who's just doing talking points and who's serious because everybody, all sides of the issue, knows exactly how to fix illegal immigration. There, you do. You got to do two things at once. You have to close and secure the border, and you have to fix the legal immigration system, which now is so bad that people yeah. have to literally wait half a lifetime just to legally come in the country. That's not sustainable. People are going to cheat. You have to do both at the same time. You have to give people a legal path that makes sense where people don't have to unfairly wait 20 years for a freaking visa, which is ridiculous. And you have to secure the border. But it's advantageous to everybody to not fix the system right now. So they pick their one little piece. There's 20 things in that process that have to happen to fix immigration. I'm, I'm making a number up, but you get the idea. There's 20 things to fix. So people pick their one or two things and they harp on it knowing it's never going to fix because now they can just sit on their high horse and fundraise and yell. We know how to fix it. The government knows how to fix it. They're never going to do it. That's the perfect issue for a grifter like him. This blows my mind. Like, you have to be consistent on stuff. Explain to me how you want to negotiate peace in Ukraine, but you want to bomb Mexico. How that is just... the most idiotic. I don't care where you are on the spectrum of foreign policy, and we dis- you and me disagree on things all the time. We hash things out all the time. Right. That that's not defendable position by anybody on any standard. Like, why would you start a war with Mexico? Like, you're not thinking. You don't understand what you're talking. It's, who's better it's funded? Who's better funded, armed, and trained? The like, cartels or the Taliban in 2001? You can fight the cartels, but people don't want to understand how you fight a cartel. You don't fight a cartel with an air force. That's not what you do. You fight the cartels with all kind of interdictionary, excuse me, interdictory stuff down there that people are not going to like if they understand how that actually works. And you have to have Mexico's approval and help to do it because you got to go in their country and do it. You want to talk about some of the stuff going on inside. I just recorded a podcast, hadn't come out yet, interview a guy, you know, four or five different countries in South America. We just go to different countries in South America, the stuff going on, because we like to keep a global play. Ecuador's coming apart. That's a country we had a lot of interdiction going on back in the 90s in Ecuador. Yep. And it's having a lot of problems now. They actually have the U.S. dollar as their thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it goes back to some of the interdiction. Colombia, some of the stuff back in the 70s that happened down there. You do not want to do that with Mexico, which has an open border and millions of people going back, and that our economy has a very vested interest, and their economy has a very vested interest in it. You don't want to do that in Mexico, and we have smartly not done that. Now the AMLO government that's in charge now, there's a lot going on there. This is where people just scream about illegal immigration, not understanding that it is a spherical and really global issue to deal with, and you just— Killing people ain't going to fix it. If we start killing cartel members, I mean, how, how easy would it be for these cartels to light off, you know, for instance, set off a bomb at a Friday night high school football game in El Paso? They you want that? Understand. You want a war well, zone on our southern border? Goodness. I mean, we can do a war zone, but why do you, you don't have to do it that way? No. And the, yeah, the, huma- the humanitarian situation for these migrants that illegally get caught up in the system is horrific. Yeah. But again, how do you fix it? You secure a border where they don't test it, and you have a legal path where all the rules are fair enough that people can actually understand them. Because yeah. if people don't understand the rules and they can illegally get in the country, they're going to do it because yeah. everybody wants to come here, even still with all the issues going on. you got to do both at the same time. It's that simple. So when you get somebody to loop this all the way back around, when you get somebody who's not a serious person like a Vivek, get up and start saying stuff. Immigration is a really good issue because if you don't have somebody whose first word out of immigration is, this is a complicated issue with a simple solution, but it's complicated because nobody really wants to solve it, then they're running game on it because that's where they need to, everybody with a brain, that's where they start. It's like, we know the answers, 
but it's a complicated problem because nobody really wants to fix it. We're at the stage in the 2024 election cycle where, and I, I told you I wanted to talk about this tweet, Republicans now are just projecting their own fantasies onto Donald Trump because Donald Trump has only talked about himself and the court cases, the indictments, and how the 2020 election was stolen for the last three years, right? Like, he's never—he hasn't talked policy. He hasn't—he has no plan. He's not really talking about any of the issues that matter to people. And that's how you get Charlie Kirk this morning with his smallest-faced take yet, I would say. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's super boring, but he tweeted about how—I'm just paraphrasing here— about how Trump, if he's elected again, would be totally different— <laughs> for some reason, than, than how he governed, you know, for four years, how he'd deport all these illegal aliens. He'd, he'd, he'd abolish DEI in the government. He'd, quote, fire the deep state. That's right. You just walk right into the deep state headquarters and shut the lights off. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, and, and he lists a thousand other things that Trump has never claimed he would do. Like, it's like Trump isn't claiming, it's just like stuff that Tucker Carlson talks about. And then they're like, this is what Trump would do when Trump has Trump doesn't know what DEI means. He no. has no idea what that acronym means. He's never heard of it before because he's Donald Trump. For four years, Donald Trump let the deep state do whatever they wanted. Okay, He doesn't understand how the bureaucracies work. He doesn't understand how Congress works. He just doesn't know enough to actually do any of these things. And let's like, if you look at the history of American government, the, the, only in the 1920s did presidents actually do anything to, like, undermine the left's agenda. It was Harding and Coolidge. They're the only two. I mean, you can go back to Grover Cleveland, but the, the 1800s is different. I mean, it's totally different. You know, it's a to, to, to talk about today's politics, you really you can't start anywhere before Woodrow Wilson, right, because the game totally changed. But the yeah. only men who actually did any of these things, like actually beat back the Democrats' agenda, were, were Harding and Coolidge. And they did it by cutting taxes by over 50%, right? They starved the beast to death. That's the only way they were able to hack off large swaths of the government. And that's the only way any of this stuff happens. You know what I mean? Like, Trump doesn't even want to do any of these things. And it's not even possible as long as the Federal Reserve exists because these bureaucracies—I mean, they, it's not that they're well-funded. It's that they're infinitely funded, right? They can print—the government can print as much money as they want and just keep these things afloat indefinitely. So it's like, unless you cut off the head of the snake— you're not doing anything. I mean, you're not you're you're doing nothing to 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 reduce the size of government to do any of these things that Republicans wanted as long as the Fed exists. So it's just like, I mean, even if Trump had a plan to do all these things or even wanted to do all these things, he wouldn't be able to. But he doesn't even have that. He hasn't even talked. He hasn't even discussed this. So it's like, you look at Charlie Kirk and all these guys talking about what Trump would do. It's like, dude, you are just projecting what you want onto this man. Like that he he doesn't even. I mean, he plays golf with Lindsey Graham, man. You know what I mean? Like he's like he is the establishment now. You know, it's like he he's not the the guy who wants to actually accomplish any of these things. He's not even talking about any of these things. Yeah, um, but you're talking about a different country. Remember when Harding got elected when he beat Cox in 1920? By the way, fun trivia fact: Cox's uh, VP nominee was an unknown dude named FDR at the time. Right, right. But when Harding and Coolidge was his VP, because of course Harding died. Um, 25 million people voted in that election. Right. Yep. Like, there, you know, the population of the country, I don't have in front of me, but it's probably 40, 50 million, something like that. Like, it's a total— I think it was a lo- there's like 75, 80 maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it was maybe— Well, yeah, because the Civil War was like 50 million, so it was yep. probably higher yep. than that. But, you know, it, it's a totally different country. Every time—I tweeted this during the debate 
because Vivek said it and a couple other people say it. Have enough self-respect when somebody says they're going to eliminate an entire branch of the U.S. government, a cabinet-level position like the Department of Education. Like, I know it's really popular. They're not going to do it. Have enough self-respect to know that they're lying and they know they're lying when they say that to you. They're not going to do it. Yeah, I know it'd be nice for some of them to do it. Like, we're going to get rid of the department. No, they're not. They can't. Well, you could. But- you, well, could, you could, but on paper, but well, here's your no. problem: is Congress is going to Congress is going to go right around you and fund them anyway. I mean, like it would have to. The I mean, the only like Ron Paul is the only person that was serious about shrinking the size of government because he talked about the Federal Reserve. Like that is for like if like yeah, if you did eliminate the Federal Reserve, government could only spend the money they actually have in real life. Um, then yeah, I mean you you could eliminate a lot, but not. I mean. Well, the, here the Federal Reserve three, ensured that you could never shrink government. I mean, that, it was like, this is by design. I forget the date, but I think within the next three or four years, the largest expenditure of the federal government is going to be interest on the debt. Yeah, in like seven years, yeah. Yeah, I, it's going to be beyond every—people like have no clue how much—just the interest on the debt is going to be the biggest expenditure of the federal government. And like, MAGA, they just have no clue how out of control they— But to get to the loop it back to where we started with Trump, like— uh, Trump was president for four years. Like Trump didn't know how to weld power because he never bothered to learn how to weld power. Yeah. Like he really did. Like some presidents know how to weld power and some presidents do not. Real quick, real quick. The one thing Trump let Pence do and the one thing Pence did was in 2017, he worked with Congress to get that tax cut passed. Because yeah, Pence did did understand. I mean, he was a congressman for 10 years, so he did understand. But yeah, after that, Pence didn't do anything. <laughs> like, I, I always say one of the smartest political presidents we had was Clinton because he looked at that, you know, the Newt Gingrich Republicans that came into power, mm-hmm. the contract with America stuff. And he was smart enough to see what he's like, oh, wait a minute. They're going to do all the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. They're going to get all the credit now. But in mm-hmm. five to 10 years, when the when the economy shifts, and these bite and we have some problems, they're going to get all the blame too. But I can take the credit now and give them the blame later. He was one of the smartest presidents ever saw. He let Newt do whatever he wanted. They signed it. They did some negotiation. He got all the upfront credit and none of the back-end problems. Yep. And Trump was smart enough to realize that on the tax cut stuff. He's like, oh, I can let... I guess somebody sat him down. Is like, all you got to do. I still say the dumbest thing ever was the resistance, where the Star Wars resistance left when Trump... Trump literally said, I will sign any they if they would have sucked up to Trump. <laughs> do you know how know. much bipartisan liberal progressive legislation Trump would have signed? He's done he more damage. He's right. done he's done more damage to the Second Amendment than any president since he went who? to the right because they just started with this resistance crap before he had ever even gotten mm-hmm. in. You're, do you remember the comedy? I hate to bring this up, but it's important. You remember the Comedy Central roast that has been memory hold now of Donald Trump? Oh, yeah. Where you have all these guys, the Seth MacFarlane's, these really progressive, and they're all saying, we really do wish you'd run for president. I think it was like 2013 or 2014, mm-hmm. somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. The left loved Donald Trump. Yeah. When they went, oh, well, he's going he's going to fit this narrative as this right. Donald Trump was never a right wing anything unless no. he was in the right wing of Bedminster. Like, he, he was never right wing anything. He was a very... If he was a Republican at all, which you could debate, he'd been like a New York Rockefeller, very liberal. Like, if they would have just sucked up to him, they would have got a lot of what they wanted passed. But he reactionarily went to the right. And that's why you get—we talked about it earlier to tie this stuff all together. You know, when a Vivek talks policy is whack—even a DeSantis, when he talks policy, Trump never talks policy. People, Well, he like, no, he doesn't. Listen to him. He talks broad strokes. He talks ideas. He doesn't even do that policy. anymore. 
doesn't and even do that even anymore. Does that now? It's all grievance, everything. But why? Because he's a reactionary person. The MAGA stuff that they can never figure out, that 30, 35% that's going to carry him through this primary because they're going to vote for him no matter what. Nothing in the, that debate changed anybody's mind that was already going to vote for Donald Trump that hadn't left already. They are just, they're reactionary. They're against the left more than they're for the right. And you're never going to move them and you're never going to change their mind as long as Donald Trump's on the field. And you've got four years of him as president. You've got three years now of him not as president. We know what it is. Charlie Kirk, Kirk who's just... You know, most people don't need to go to college, but I think he really did need to go because he needs to learn something. The guy like this business model of Trump, it's just not going to work anymore. And Trump is Trump. And we've got book on Trump and the hardcore folks of Trump's enough to win a primary and they're not enough to win a general election. And folks just don't realize it because they're in that bubble. But that's just where you're at. It's fun to it's fun to be in a club, man. It's fun to be in this online club and. Have everybody retweet your stuff and never get any pushback from the right, and it's fun. I like I understand yeah, human nature why these people, people go are like vote this. for Biden, and they're like, well, there's no so, there's no way eighty million. Like, yes, because you don't know those people exist because you don't know they exist. Like, people Man, are going to crawl over broken glass to vote against Donald Trump. The only reason why I'm qualified, if you want to call it that, to have this podcast, is because I've been everywhere in this country and I've met every kind of American a thousand times. And you had a microphone already, which so you didn't. And I had a microphone already, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, it's just like, dude, I've met, like, name like a kind of American. I've hung out and had a conversation and had a beer with that person, the hippie from California, the banker from New York, the rancher from Montana, the cowboy from Texas, the illegal alien from Miami, and I I I get I like all of them, <laughs> like I love yeah. I, I love this country and I love my countrymen and it's just like. These people are just walking into a political buzzsaw. Yeah, they have and they no don't idea. know because they don't know America. Like they don't no. get Americans. Like you're a Toledo guy, right? My mm-hmm. my big part of my dad's family is Youngstown. It's a big part of our family identity. Those guys, you know, when we were younger, when my dad was coming up, they're like, "You got to come up to Youngstown. You got to work at the mills." And he, <clears throat> excuse me, he talked about it like the turning point in his life was like, "Do I go to Youngstown and work because I got a I can get a union card tomorrow because I know the right people." Or do I go back to West Virginia and be a teacher for the 35 years he was a professional teacher? And those guys all made more money, and they all had bigger houses. And then what happened to them in the 70s and 80s? Yeah. And then they all went to GM, mm-hmm. and then GM, Lordstown, and then yep. that collapsed. Yep. Uh, I just had Dennis Saunders on my show. I have him on all the time. His parents were United Auto Workers. You know, he's from Flint, Michigan. He's mm-hmm. good, good union people, my aunt would call him. You know, good union household. You've heard that. Mm-hmm. Those people don't exist anymore. That generation, no. they're just gone. Gone. And people don't understand the Midwest. You're from the Toledo. You can talk about this. They don't understand the swing, the blue-collar Democrat base of America that was the biggest voting block from post-World War II until, you know, probably the late 90s, early 2000s. Yep. They're just, they don't exist no. They've changed. They're gone. People don't understand what a swath of that post-World War II America, it just disappeared overnight. But people, people don't, don't remember, understand it. People don't remember that it was a shock that George Bush won West Virginia in 2000. People do not understand that Florida, does, if we talk about Hillary not going to Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Al Gore never went to West Virginia. Yeah, He gets the five electoral jo- votes in West Virginia yeah. who had not voted for a Democrat, had not not voted for a Democrat, good English there, for 100 years. It 100 was cobalt years. blue. Mm-hmm. If he goes to West Virginia one time, he wins West Virginia, Florida doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he, he's got the electoral votes, it doesn't matter. 
like they don't understand what happened within 25 years. West Virginia went from the bluest state in the country to Trump 41. That never happened. Like that's that's unheard of. Nobody's ever seen a state do that. The thing is, and I don't know how. I mean, we nobody knows how this is going to play out. But 2020, COVID, the lockdowns, and everything that the government put us through surrounding COVID is going to be one of those changes that yeah. we look that we look back on. We're like, wow, the country was never the same after that. I don't know if it's going to be a political realignment. I don't know if it's just going to be. It's going to be know. generational. It's, let me tell you why, because my kids are old enough. They all lived through it. I had a yeah. kid. My oldest was she she was going to graduate that May when they locked everything down in March. She was student teaching. You want to get talk about getting double screwed. They they literally they couldn't just throw them online. They had to invent something online for them to graduate. Yeah. Um, I had the other two kids were in high school and middle school, respectively. We told a what the baby boomers post-World War II were for this country. Okay, that we've America's been living off the post-World War II stuff for a long, long time. Spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, our identity has been that post-war to America for a long time. And then Well, economically uh, economically yeah. too. And that that's the thing like been that, the, coasting on it. Because like we benefited from the rest of the developed world being completely destroyed. Yeah. And what they're not, happens... they're, they're back now. So we, we actually have to compete economically. We really hadn't had to for the last yeah. 75 years. We, well, we talked about Youngstown. That's what happened. They were still yep. running thirties and forties equipment at Youngstown tube and steel. My dad was working there. I know this. They were still running the thirties and forties equipment and we yeah. had built Germany and Japan brand new steel mills. Yeah. So by the seventies, it caught up to them. But anyway, yep. um, what I'm saying is this generation that went through COVID, you do not understand our country told an entire generation of kids exactly what we thought about them. Yep. They saw the hypocrisy of it. They know that the school system is not for them. The school system is to feed the school system. It's for the teachers yep. and the parents to feel good. It wasn't about yep. their education. You yes. do not understand generationally when this generation gets power in the next 10 to 15 years, how differently they're going to govern, how differently they look at gov they don't look at government through Republican and Democrat. They look at government as, oh, these are the people who, you know, can completely screw your life over because it's inconvenient. That's how they look at it. I mean, I hope you do not understand the generational changes is getting ready to come. The old all this Trump, MAGA, progressive, conservative all this language we have right now is not going to mean one diddly crap to those people in ten years. No. They don't care. Because they were like, you you screwed up my childhood. When it comes to the, the political differences you and I have, as always, I hope you're right and I hope I'm wrong about everything. Because that's that I always hope I'm wrong. I'm a libertarian for God's sakes. When I'm wrong, things are going well. But um, I, uh, you know, I'll I'll never forget when the cops arrested that pastor in Kentucky, a small town in Kentucky. He was holding a socially distanced uh, Sunday morning church service where everybody was in their cars, windows up. And just preaching through a loudspeaker, everybody, I mean, I mean, you know, you're not within six feet if you're in a vehicle. Um, and they arrested him. Frog yeah. marched a pastor. This was the one country where pastors didn't get arrested until 2020. You under know the one a, got me? It wasn't as important as that, but you know the, the one where I'm just like, uh, you got to be kidding me. You talk, you, you talk about the peninsula because you go Michigan fishing. Remember when they banned that you couldn't sell seeds? Yeah, Gretchen Whitmer. She got reelected by 12 points. That's not that's not arresting people and the pastors and the and the I get it. Just stop and think about that for a second. What that means to you know, I'm a country kid. 
if all else fails, I can go back on my mountain, grow my food, hunt, fish, take care of my family, right? You can't buy a seed. And like, they said you're stop not— Stop and think of what that really means for and, a second. And she outlawed boats. You're not allowed to use a boat. Can't fish, can't can't farm. I like that. You're not allowed to get said, food for you. You're not allowed to get food for yourself. You have to wait for the state. See, that's how it hit me because I'm a. I grew up as a country kid. We grew, you know, we country folks. You know, if all else fails, you come back up to the mountain. Yep. We'll have like our family's talked about this. Like, look, if somebody's in trouble, you can you can show up on Friday night at the shelter and you're going to get fed and no questions asked. Yep. That's just how our family's done it for. Year, like when they when you didn't have nothing, like you can show up at somebody's house and get a meal. Yeah. We we have that culture. So when I see that you can't buy seats, that that's when it hit. Like no 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 no, you cannot tell people they can't feed themselves. You can't tell people they can't take care of each other. They we still don't understand the psychological drama and trauma of yeah. that that's going to play out politic because we're still wrapped up in this Trump not Trump thing a little a little while longer but it's not going to be long and Biden's going to pass off scene cuz these guys are 80. I'm not trying to be morbid it's just you know time's undefeated. Yeah. Whatever's coming next in the 5 5 or 10 years, that generation that went through COVID, the next gener the other big generational shift is the college enrollment's dropping like a rock right now so the yeah. higher ed bubble's going to start popping. Uh, this has been happening at my beloved WVU right now because it's bad leadership because they want to spend gobs of money and then they want to go, oh, we got to cut problems. Like, no, it's leadership. You spend money because you thought the money spigot was never going to turn off. And now it is because the enrollment's dropping. Gordon Gee, screw you. Um, you remember him at Ohio State and all the mess there. We turned around mm -hmm. and hired a bunch of idiots. The guy's corrupt as heck. <laughs> you're you're going to see a big generational shift because those COVID kids. 100%. Wait a minute! I can get an education online. Why am I paying thirty thousand dollars a year to get an education? Because I can do it online. You just taught them they can do it online. You can do a lot of it for free or at a very low cost. My own child just went through this. She's like, "Why am I paying room and board? I can go to community college, do the same thing, stay at home, help take care of my elderly grandparents, my my parents, my mom's not well." She's like, "I can stay with them. I can spend more time with my boyfriend. I can work on the side and have money in my pocket, and I can get the exact same education at the community college for a fraction of the." I'm like. You're Damn smart. right. I got no problem with that. Damn right. No problem at all with that. You're going to have more and more kids doing that, going online. Do you understand the culture shift that is? Because the post-World War II model of work, go to school, go work at a company for 30 years, that's gone. Nobody's doing that anymore. Yeah. It's no such thing. They're going to piecemeal. They're going to hustle. They want their school as a side hustle. They want to be able to work as a side hustle. And when government gets in their way— it's not going to be an ideological, conservative, progressive thing. It's going to be, what do you mean you're trying to regulate my side hustle? What do you mean I can't go to school online because it dropped the enrollment and the, the elite class is going to howl about it? That's going to be the fights they're going to be going after. You better go ahead and adjust now. A lot of things are are not going back to normal. No. You know? And it, no. that, that's the COVID is the reason why. Like, I voted for Trump twice, man. I voted for him in 2016 and 2020. I endorsed him on the show in 2020, even after, you know, the the lockdowns and stuff, just because I, I, well, what I thought was going to happen immediately happened. You know, Biden ramped up the lockdowns and, and started getting people fired for not getting vaccinated and all that. And that's what I thought would happen. And it did. That's why I voted for Trump. But I, looking back, I just I can't vote for Trump again unless he were to demonstrate that he understands the mistakes that he made um, and he won't. Because he says he did nothing wrong <laughs> during, during COVID. So it's like, I, I, I can't, so many policies are, look, man, the, the way I view the world is just trying to keep as many human beings alive as possible. That's it. Yeah. The lockdowns yeah. 
killed tens of thousands of people, mountains of dead Americans. Just the suicides and overdoses alone, the deaths of despair alone. Let, disregarding, I'm not talking about like if people get heart attacks from the vaccine. I, it's above my pay grade. I'm not even going. Yeah, but how many people? My uncle died alone. They had to wave at him between the ambulance and the port because they weren't allowed that. to go in it because he Fuck had that. Um, he he ran a tipple for years. He had COPD. And he, you know, his lungs stopped using, but because he had a lung disease, he was in the war with all the COVID people. You weren't allowed to visit him. And he, this is, this is the, he, he lived beside me. I shot basketball at his house. Like, yeah, this ain't just like some uncle I knew. This is yeah. where I grew up. This is Uncle yeah. Fred. They, the last time his fam, his wife, his children saw him was they were allowed to wave at him as they took him out of the ambulance through the portico into the hospital because he had COPD. He ran a tipple for years, had coal dust in his lungs. He, you know, died of a lung disease, but he was in the war with all the COVID people. So they weren't allowed to have visitation. He died alone like 10 days later. Do you understand the anger? We we had to fight. We literally, I, li- I live in a small town. My, I grew up in a small town, Somerville, West Virginia, 2,800 people. They had to get a permit to have the freaking funeral. Do you understand the familiar, like people we knew, they're like, well, you can only have X amount of people at the funeral. And we're like, we're having the funeral. Like, stop us. The thing is, Very, like, we'll do the separation thing and stuff, but if you try to stop us from having a funeral at a church, yeah, better bring, up, better bring an his, army. His son in law is a, a research doctor at, I won't say the school, big name school that you would know, research doctor. Like, he's one of these guys that's curing cancer. That's yeah. who his son in law was. Like, he's in charge of it. We're going to do all the masks and stuff. Like, he knows what he's doing way better than you do. He knows more about medicine than you do. We'll do all the crap. But don't tell us we can't have a funeral. But we had the stroke to do it. How many families didn't get funerals? How many people died of COVID and they didn't even get a funeral service? I have a like, nephew. Do you know who's... the anger that that builds into people? I mean, and everybody's ge- got a story like that. I mean, I, thank God I didn't have a baby a few years ago because I mean, a, a kid, you know, babies born in 2020. You go the first couple years of your you life seeing mask everybody on in masks. It's like what the? And look, I wore my mask because it's not worth my me to spend more than three seconds out of my day on it. I don't care. Did you try to put a mask on a two-year-old that's having problems? Or God forbid you have a kid that has issues or some kind of a, if they're on, my mom was a special ed teacher, so I always think about these sorts of, can you imagine somebody that has a social anxiety issue or they're on the autism spectrum or whatever, and now you're telling that kid who doesn't understand the world around them as it is, and they got, and you get those awful videos of teachers holding kids down and putting masks on them. Like, what What are we doing? What What, what are we doing? Donald Trump could have stopped it. I mean, look, look, listen, blue states still would have locked down and, and, and done their, you know, the Gretchen Whitmer pretend to be Julius Caesar for a couple years thing. There was no reason to shut the schools. Like, I, the, I'll give like the first couple of weeks because nobody knew. I'll give them that. Here, okay. this, the reason why I opposed three months, everybody knew like this is pointless. I, I don't give them anything. I don't I don't give any quarter to any of it. It's just not, it's not. Yeah. I, I have to disagree with you there, but like, like some of the blue states still would have lockdowns. The teachers' unions, they still would have wanted to get paid for not going to work for a couple of years and all that stuff. But like, Donald Trump could have stopped it. He could have used the bully pulpit of the presidency and said, "Look, this virus is bad. If you're old and sick, maybe you should stay home or, or, or whatever, call off work. But America's open for business. If you need food, Americans will grow it. If you need stuff, Americans will build it. We're not locking down. We're not destroying the global economy. Tony Fauci, you're fucking fired. Well, you know, you that Trump could have said people. Trump could have saved how many lives by saying that? Well, Ten thousand, a hundred thousand, a million. How many? But the I mean, the food, food shortages, the food shortages in Yemen, yeah. in 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 the Middle East, particularly Yemen, but in Southeast Asia as well. 
because the 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 supply chain crisis nobody was freaking growing food and shipping food poor people in africa and the middle east were dying by the tens of thousands of starvation because trump was too much of a pussy to fire anthony fauci the honesty would have saved lives though because it's like we know who was vulnerable and we knew pretty quick the elderly is vulnerable. Look, I've got a lot. You know, you know more than I've even told people publicly. Like, right. I'm, I'm pretty screwed up medically. Yeah, I'm yeah. very high risk for crap. So, yeah. like, you know, like I had that conversation with my doctors. I'm like, vaccine, not vaccine, and they just look at like we have no idea. Like, there's no data. We we don't know for somebody like you. The honesty to trust the American people of like, look, if you're elderly, if you're sick, if you're disabled, if you're even if you're a child, but all the children that have problems, most of them were pre-existing. If you have a pre-existing condition and you're old. You need to do this, 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 and this. The whole problem they had was when you try to lock down the whole country because New York City's having a problem and you try to have all the healthy people that probably didn't have a lot to worry about not let them make a decision, now you've made it worse for everybody because now there's – you have to – I wrote about this. Dwight Eisenhower, when they did the polio vaccine, they screwed up the polio vaccine. They accidentally, when they developed it – and, of course, this is the 50s, so it's a lot different technology right. – they actually screwed up and put the live virus in the first in one of the first runs of the vaccine and killed a bunch of people. Oh my goodness! Including dozens of kids. Wow. So, and this is one of the first TV things. A president Eisenhower, because everybody respects Eisenhower, he gets up and goes no, and he he told him the truth. The truth yeah. is, he said they screwed up. This one batch of this one vaccine got the live dose because they didn't know what they were doing. We've held the people accountable. The vaccine is safe, and we wiped polio out in this country. But they did it because they were clear about it. They were honest about it. Can you imagine if that had happened now with the way people lie and misunderstand it and they put their politics on it? They had the, but you had, we don't have an Eisenhower where everybody respects him and he goes, we screwed up. There was a mistake. We've corrected it. Those people have been held accountable. Everybody else is safe. And they fixed it. And then you have all those pictures of Elvis and Marilyn Monroe and Sammy mm-hmm. Davis Jr. because they knew. You know, the African-American community, you're, you're coming off stuff like the Tuskegee mask. Oh, yeah, they yeah. had a very yep. valid reason to not yes. trust it. So you have Sammy Davis Jr. getting the, mm-hmm. the vaccines because they were honest. He said, hey, we made a mistake. Can you imagine how much better the COVID stuff would have been? I've, I had Michael Siegel on over and over and over again, who's a very respected scientist. He said, like, good science is saying when you make mistakes because science is trial and error. All they had to do was like, hey, we thought it was this. We were wrong. Now we know it's this. But How Tony hard Fauci, would that have been? Tony Fauci said, quote, I am the science. Yeah. He, don't put science. <laughs> Michael said it better than I did. He's like, look, scientists don't know how to. We Here's what we learned. Scientists on that level, the good. I'm not talking about the crackpot. I'm talking about good scientists. Because of what they, they don't know how to talk to the general public. They just don't. Well, and the good, the good it, ones. It's just a language barrier. The good scientists don't work for the government either, you know. That's the government speaks one language. Science speaks a different language and PR politicized government and PR politicized science speaks a language some people understand. So everybody turn to that and you don't have the good people talking because nobody knows how to do it. We have to do a better job of letting the good people talk and believing them when they say hard fact. If they would have came out, there would have still been some people like, hey, we don't understand this virus one week later. We didn't understand this last week. We didn't understand it this week because we had to study it. Here's what we knew. We were wrong. It, saying I'm wrong gives you credence with most people of good faith, and they just refuse to do it. And the most important issue we face is making sure this doesn't happen again. 
I don't mean a virus. Viruses happen. I mean the lockdowns. I mean because like I I I, I tend to agree with you that the republic will stand no matter what happens in the in the near future, unless there's another economic lockdown like that. I I really truly um, don't think we would survive another one. Well, you, what you can what you can't survive is. We and you said it was a logistic. Those were hiccups to the to the logistic trains. Like if you have a bad one, you could actually devalue the dollar for for years. If you have a really bad disruption in the supply chain, and I don't mean a hiccup where toilet paper goes away for a week. I'm talking about like where you have a fuel crunch, like in the seven, like something really yeah. catastrophic, where you know a port shuts down or you know Long Beach just doesn't process anything for a week would destroy our economy on a level you've never seen people don't understand it's, now the, the good thing is it's so redundant it's really hard to do that yeah but you've gotten a little taste of it with inflation now you know imagine if we have a supply chain disruption in the last 13 14 months while the fed's tinkering with the interest rate the havoc that would have caused well if, know, if this happens you're ready again to have one anyway because the housing situation is getting untenable within the yeah. next 18 to the two years it's going to it's going to really start people cannot afford $2000 in mortgage and $2000 a month in rent it's going to break you just the can't house, do it. I don't think the housing bubble is as bad as 2007 2008 but it is coming there is another bubble coming yeah. in the it's next couple years it's just unsustainable right now i mean and like if you know they printed what 8 trillion um, I mean, it's good for me. My house is locked in at three and three quarters, so you know I'm I'm okay. But I two two seven five, buddy. Yeah, you know <laughs> March twenty twenty one. Oh God, I remember when I bought my first house in twenty fifteen. Uh, excuse me, twenty fifteen. I'm getting old. Two thousand five, two thousand six, and you know seven and a quarter was an outstanding interest rate. Like you you were doing backflips thinking you got seven and a quarter, and now it's back up seven and a quarter, and people are like, Ugh. but like people like me, like you know, in a couple of years, kids are all grown. I may want to sell this house. It's worth a lot more money than I paid for it because it's gone up, but you can't afford to go buy a new one with the new interest rates. So do you like, that's the, it compresses everything. Yeah. People are going to have questions. It's going to be ugly, man, for a while. Republicans being unwilling to hold Trump accountable for the lockdowns is, it's not just a mistake, man. It could be, it could be the real nail in the coffin down the road. I mean, if, if, if both parties are willing to sweep COVID, under the road. I mean, nobody wants to talk about it. Like no. nobody wants to talk about COVID. Th there was no COVID talk during the GOP debate because DeSantis was the only one that was good on it. His <laughs> you know, people's like, trying everyone to talk else about was it, pro nobody lockdown. To, nobody wants to hear it. I mean, yeah. his people have been out there. The super PAC is they they for two months. That's all they talked about. And nobody cared. People people want to forget. They yeah, want to they, forget they, they that want to it be happened. And I mean, the it just can't happen again. Trump, I mean, that's why I, I oppose Trump. That's why I cannot vote for Trump unless he legitimately gets on TV and says, I apologize. Your brother who OD'd, your uncle that you couldn't have a funeral, all that is on me. I should have fired Fauci and Burks and all this. I never should have shut down the economy. I should have pressured these, gover these governors to reopen. But he's not going to do that. And the GOP yeah. is going to sweep it under the rug because they're obsessed with the cult well, of personality that is Trump. Yeah. And then it's going to happen again. It's going to well, happen again and people are going to die again. I'm going to be that guy, and everybody hates when I do this, but I'm sorry. But, yeah, this is why it matters when Trump lies, and this is what matters when Trump breaks his promises, and you didn't hold him accountable during his campaign, and you didn't yeah. hold him accountable during his presidency. And then you're like, well, why can't we hold him accountable for COVID? Because you trained him. 
yeah. Republican Party, GOP, Trump supporters, MAGA. You trained him that he can do whatever he wants. That's why yeah. you have to hold these people. I don't care if they're from dog catcher to president. Local, look at what local government of Maui cost a bunch of people's life. You have to hold your government officials accountable all the time for everything because when it really comes down to it, they're going to act exactly like you have told them throughout their entire career what they can get away with. And I want them to know in crisis that we're going to hold them accountable. And they don't. And that's what happened. And it cost people lives. Yeah. And it's our own fault. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not we just COVID. Blame, I mean, we can blame Trump, but we made it not. Look, I can say, like, I didn't vote for Trump because I didn't. But, yeah, we, we made that beast. We made the political environment. We made the parties weak where he could take it over. You know, we at some point you have to quit blaming other people and start looking in the mirror. And like, if you're not holding everybody accountable, then the Donald Trumps of the world, whose whole thing is, well, his whole thing, his whole career has been, well, the other guy, look, he's from New York City, he's a New York City real estate developer. The other guy's more corrupt than me. I know how to get it done within the acceptable limits of corruption. That's his whole stick, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what, well, that'll be great as long as I get what I want. Yeah, well, what happened when the chips were really down? Because you wouldn't hold people accountable because it was your guy or whatever. We got to do better, man. Who's the guy who let the ground ball go middle of his legs? Buckner? Bill Buckner, Bill who Buckner. was a great, who was hurt, who shouldn't have even been in the game poor guy. Like, the guy got vilified, and it wasn't even really his fault. He shouldn't have been there. He wasn't even a first baseman. Anthony like, Fauci you know. was Trump's ground ball, man. Blew it in the bottom of the ninth with the World Series on the line. And now he, he's so twisted on it now. Now, the you know, getting the vaccine pushed through quick, he's backed off of that and given that away. Like he he uh, he's all over the board on it, like you and you're gonna tell me he's gonna do better the next time? No, because he's all over the board on it right now, and we're gonna have a next time because we're always gonna have some kind, maybe not that level, but you know there's gonna be another pandemic. There's gonna be something. China will do something stupid, you know who knows? I hope it's not in the next five years because a Democrat will be in office. I, I <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Did. Like Trump's Look, not gonna win the general, man. You know you better I, hope the next pandemic is, you know, ten years down the road when freaking some Republican is in office, or it's, it's going to get real dog, ugly, man. You know, I like to tell people to dog ear stuff, dog ear this one. I I did a progressive um, program a couple, eh, about two months ago now that I've done several times. Because I do all, you know me, I do, I'll talk to anybody. I'll do progressive media, conservative media, whatever, I don't care. Uh, you may not like what I say, but I'll come on and talk to you. And I was talking to one of one of the more progressive TV hosts in the country. And me and him agreed on it, and, they, and he got hate mail for this, but it's absolutely true. Like, you, we're talking about Trump and all this problem. You you have no idea, my Democratic friends, what's coming. Biden band-aided the, the Democratic Party because he could put a, one of the old coalitions together where you had, you know, the African-American coalitions and the old blue dogs came back and the working class and independents were mostly comfortable with him because he's a known figure and they don't think he'll do anything too crazy compared to Trump. He band-aided a lot of what's going on in the in the Democratic Party right now. When Biden passes off the scene, the Democratic Party is going to go through some things, and it ain't going to be pretty. It ain't going to be pretty because they're going to they've got a progressive caucus that is really loud and really powerful. They've the their progressive caucus has the problem the MAGA caucus and the GOP has. Yeah, they've got enough party to take over the party, but they don't have enough to win a general election, and they're going to get mad about it. Yeah, and they don't realize it. Just book here it. You know we're beating up on the Republicans a lot right now, but after Biden. They've got nobody. It's not. It's bench. not Biden. It, you're you're ninety nine percent right. It's not after Biden. It's after Trump. It, like Biden. Yeah, because like, Biden Biden was non Trump, and that's why I got elected. Yeah, Let's like Trump built that 
Democratic coalition of blue dogs and progressives and, and everybody. It wasn't Biden. It was Trump doing that for Biden. Our Democratic friends are going to go through, and it's going to be really, really ugly. It's going to be a lot of blue on blue, you know, don't don't go nuts. You know, media matters, taking notes here. It, it's going to be blue on blue political violence. They're going to do a lot of bloodletting in that party. What you're going to wind up with is the Democratic Party is going to go through what the Republican Party went through the last eight, nine years, where you have a lot of people just go independent, throw their hands up and go, no, screw this. I'll come vote when I want to, but you're not getting my support 24-7 anymore. Yeah. They're going to go through a lot of what the Republicans. So it just keep that in mind. That's coming once we're done with this Trump thing. It would have already thing. happened. It would have already happened Without if Trump. it weren't for Trump, because these people no. freaking hate each other. <laughs> no, they don't. I mean, the progressives They, they, they are not the... going to make the progress. The and again, progressive, you know, I don't want to paint all progressives because there's different stripes of those folks. But, you know, the traditional Democratic Party, as we've all known it most of our lifetime, is no longer exists. Biden Biden just kind of duct taped it together for a minute. The progressive caucus is not going to be they're not. Biden's the last time they compromise. 100%. I mean, they're telling you this. They're, mm-hmm. they're like, Biden's the last time we compromise because we got to beat Trump. OK, fair enough. They're not going to compromise next time, and they're going to put a lot of people up that cannot win general elections on a national stage. They just can't because they're too out there. Yeah, and it's, then the, it's going to be ugly. So just just remember, we're neither you're side listening to us beat no. up on Republicans. It's just because they're they're on the wrong side of the line right now. Democrats are going to have a wilderness period coming up pretty soon. It's yeah. going to happen because they got to be fun to watch. Them. It'll be fun to watch. I mean, yeah, from I don't our, know from if our funds are right because it's it you know. I, I say this, people, I was like, look, it, it's not good for the country for either political party to go off the deep end. It's not. It's not good for the country. Well, it's natural. Depends what it's the, something de- that has to happen. Depends what the deep end good. is. Depends what the deep end is. I mean, there's been a lot of presidents who have gone off the deep end. I mean, Calvin Coolidge. I mean, you know, he literally cut taxes by something like on average 55%. Yeah. And destroyed half of the federal government. I mean, that's going off the deep end, and it saved the country. I mean, between yeah. if if but there within wasn't ten years, you had FDR, and you know, like there, well, there, well, well, there, no, there's no, no, cause no. and effect to this. Stuff, no, 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 no. I, 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 I'm not actually, blaming Coolidge for FDR. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying <laughs> these things swing. There's pendulum swings. FDR to this. was a cult of personality too, similar to Trump and Obama. And the thing is, without Harding and Coolidge, if you went straight from from Woodrow Wilson to FDR without this extremely, you know, this almost libertarian eight years of slashing the government, there wouldn't be anything left by the time FDR took over. I mean, we'd probably, well, be, in a, we'd probably be in a communist state by now. The Constitution would have completely failed this if, is a whole program if we didn't itself. have the, the 20s. There's, there's a wonderful—I forget the gentleman's name. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'll try to look it up for you, and I'll send you the link so you can share it to people. But if, if FDR would have never worked in the TV age— Mm-hmm. With modern media, because remember, people forget the mythology of FDR, but his first term, initially, all his reforms actually made the Depression worse. Yeah, no kidding. But because of the cult, <laughs> yeah, of, the cult of personality, though, he was able to ride it out until basically World War II saved him and the economic engine cranked back up and pulled us out of it. But, you know, you, you definitely don't have a man who can't stand being president in the TV age. Um, but he, he would not have survived modern journalism and modern media because they would have ripped him apart. He would have never made it through those first three, four, five years where he actually made it worse. So there, it's just one of those great what-ifs in American history. But, um, you know, can you imagine only one term of FDR? What does that look like? I mean, you know, it, a, lot of, a lot of stuff changes in a hurry. Yeah, Japanese people don't go to concentration camps. There's no New Deal. 
Well, do you do you? Well, if we sell oil to the Japanese in the mid thirties, what is how does that change the Asian stuff? That's very interesting. <laughs> you know, if, if yeah. we if yeah. we stand up to Hitler a little better, where he doesn't get complete control of Europe and starts exterminating Jews, and we basically people there's a real dark part of American politics. We you know people's like, well, we didn't know about hell. yeah, we they knew, government knew, the people did, American people didn't know. The, the government knew the Holocaust was going on long before the American people did. There was some head padding went on. You know, our frenemy with Russia that turned into the Cold War, does that change a little bit? You know, there's a lot of interesting what ifs in there. So what do you I mean, do? what if Wilson doesn't get us into World War One? Well, people forget Wilson. Wilson exacerbated the race problem in America so bad, but the people that he was really fighting literally had the cops clear the streets, beat them, and murder them in the streets in D.C. Those were the Black World War One veterans coming back that were yeah. demanding their pensions and their stuff, yeah. and he he burned their camp down and was beating them in the street. That, the, civil, the civil rights those movement. Those were veterans from World War One, and then you know we didn't, and then you have a segregated military and for most of World War Two. What does that change? Where we have much more manpower from the civil rights movement probably would have taken place in the 30s or 40s. A late 20s, easily. It would have happened right. It would have happened right if you had TV. We just did the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington. Remember, you know, the March on Washington was not just the Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream speech, although that's probably top five moments in American rhetoric. People forget TV is new. That's Mm -hmm. the first time most of America saw. Oh, my God. And all the Hollywood stars are there. You have those pictures of, like, Charlton Heston and yeah, all yeah. the big stars of the day are there. And yeah. they're like, there's a million people or however many people were there. They're seeing that on TV. So people in Oklahoma and Nebraska and the Pacific Northwest and Florida, they're seeing that for the first time. So the people that were holding the dogs and the fire hoses in Montgomery and the people that were holding the signs outside of Central Little Rock High School, all of a sudden, for the first time, the country realizes they're in the minority and they see what they're doing and they went, that's horrific. We may, we got to stop this. We got to change. Yeah. They saw it. They yeah. saw it on the TV. You don't have that media in the 20s, so you couldn't have had it. But the 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 black veterans that were getting beaten in the streets of D.C., go read that. People, yeah. it's a forgotten piece of history. You know, Wilson went to war with the black U.S. veterans. Yeah. Same thing. The Tulsa race riots, it was black veterans that started that thing. They just They just wanted some freaking respect, and they had earned the respect on the battlefield. Yeah. If you go read about like the Harlem Hellfighters and those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's atrocious and it's something that's been buried in, and it's, you know, one more time, man, government brings out evil in people every yeah. time if you don't hold it accountable. And we we, well, yeah. we paid a heavy heavy price in this country for 100 years after Wilson because nobody wanted to steer him or his crazy wife after he was debilitated with a stroke. I mean, it's yeah, and it, I mean the worst thing Wilson did wasn't World War One, and it wasn't the the racism, although that's bad. It was the Federal Reserve. Yeah. I mean, nothing you hate about government. Well, it all goes together. It all yeah, goes together. Exactly. I'm going to use the government to control the people I don't like. Nothing that you hate about the government would well, not not nothing. Most of the, the the most evil parts of the United States government and all the stuff that bothers you the most would not be here if it wasn't for the Federal Reserve. Because if you if if your money is sound, if you're actually on a gold standard, the the you know the the government has to convince people to you know tax you if you want to go to war with Iraq. You know if you want to kill Gaddafi in Libya or, or get involved in the Syrian civil war. You want to do all these 
extracurriculars, you got to sell that to the American public and tell them why you're taking money from them to do it. Well, we did. With I the, mean, look the at the war bond Reserve. drives in World War II. Like even even with that, you know, the war bond drives and the everybody mm-hmm. we're all in it. People forget that all we're all in it to get. No, that wasn't accidental. That took a lot of work. And people really were invested in it, not just in the men fighting, but people, you know, they were buying war bonds. They were doing stuff. They were doing their victory gardens. They were doing their meatless Mondays and all that stuff. And you don't do and But the other and we talked about this before on the show, you got, you got to understand the active duty uh, population of America is less than one percent. And then you have one percent of that one percent that actually sees combat. It's just you you don't there's. I don't want to sound harsh, but it's not a shared burden, and it hadn't been for a very long time, and there's well, a very big even, disconnect there. Even worse, it's depending on where you live in the country, that percentage is going to be way lower than 1% as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, you know, it's so If you're in certain rural, precincts, yeah. you just, you've just you never met. You've just never met somebody in the military if you live in a lot of these places. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in a military family. It was, you know, coal mines or military. There's your two choices if you can't hack it in college. Right. That's just the way it was. But then you got places like in California where they're not even allowed to— rec- I, my real quick, I know we got to go, but like my cousin who was active duty army, he did a uh, stint at Stanford as a visiting fellow while he was active duty army. He was a colonel in the army at the time, yeah. and he would talk about it. He's like, every once in a while, I do it on purpose. I would actually wear my uniform around the campus in Stanford just to get the reactions. People like, look he, like a saw there, ghost. There's a there's a YouTube video of him lecturing in his uniform at Stanford, and he's like, yeah, just walking in here, the reactions I get, it's amazing. Because it's Stanford, and this is a very, you know, he's retired now, very well-decorated, mm-hmm. well-respected guy. And it's just amazing how different, it's just a different world, man. For some folks, they just don't understand the burden. Yeah. Go to, a, look, listen, if you've never been to a VA facility in your life and you have no connection to the military whatsoever, just go to a VA, go in the waiting room, sit down. They're, they will talk to you because that's those guys love to talk to you, those men and women. They will talk. Just sit there for an hour and talk to some folks. It'll change your life. Yeah, no doubt, man. We uh, Well, we did over two hours. So we should, I should probably, I should probably let you go. the hour before you hit record. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I learned to edit it. My brother, uh, where can everybody check out your show, which is fantastic. I highly recommend it. Where can everybody read your stuff, follow you on Twitter, all that good stuff? My show's formatted for 48 minutes total ruin time just for what it's worth. So you all know exactly what you're in for. Uh, Herd Tell Show. We're very proud of it. Herd Tell uh, Show.substack.com is one-stop shopping for everything. But we're on iTunes, Spotify. The YouTube channel's been doing insane numbers. I don't know what happened to that all of a sudden. Herd Tell. We need to get you on there, man. You haven't been on there in a long time. We'll get some Ohio content. Four for the Fire on the Twitter. Andrew Donaldson everywhere else. And I'm always happy to talk to you, my friend. Everybody check out Hurtel. Everybody follow Andrew, who's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'm actually going on vacation. I'll be back a week from Wednesday. No gimmicks.